0: You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit CrossingParagold.com. Today's teaching text is Matthew 26, 36-46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer.
1: Well done. Thank you so much. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit who can open our eyes uh, to see what you want us to see today, and I do pray, that Spirit, that you would work through this teaching, that you would uh, drive it into the deepest places of our soul, um, that you would leave no stone unturned, um, that you would speak to our greatest needs and that you would use this time to conform us more in the image of your son so that we can love you and love one another better. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated. On April 14th, 1912, a ship that was thought to be unsinkable, the Titanic, hit an iceberg uh, in the North Atlantic on its way from England to New York, and it resulted in 1,500 deaths. 1,500 people, men, women, and children, uh, died. This was its first and only voyage. And you may remember this: the Titanic's captain, Edward Smith, made a comment before the voyage, where he said that God Himself could not sink this ship. And yet, within three hours after hitting the iceberg at 2:20 a.m., the Titanic sank like a rock to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. And what I want you to consider as you look at this picture is is what sank the ship was not the 10%, was not the tip of the iceberg that you could see, but what brought about so much death and destruction was the 90% that you could not see. It was what went below the surface. And the reason I share that is because Pete Cazero, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, which is a book, as I've shared before, is what has influenced this series, uh, he draws out the point that our life is like that of an iceberg. In that, there is a surface part, you kind of see in this picture it represents it well, this surface part of our lives uh, that we tend to focus the most energy on because it's the part that everybody sees, It's the part that people judge us by or they accept us by. Uh, But then there is this other part, and it's actually the biggest part of who we are that is below the surface. And most of the time, because it's below the surface, we don't focus that much on it. The problem is it's this big mass, this amount that is below the surface that we neglect that often can do the most damage. You know, uh, Some of you uh, are big in the Enneagram and and, and some of you, I know you love it. Some of you hate it. Uh, Wherever you land on that, I don't care that much. I kind of can see both sides of it. I don't love it, but I do see it as a tool that God can use to help uh, show us our need for Jesus. And I've taken the test and I know that I'm labeled a type three on the Enneagram, which means I'm the performer, or I'm the achiever. And if you've ever studied the three, you know that, that this can be a three's Achilles heel, that we can focus more on what you see on the surface than what goes on below the surface. Because we can believe the lie that we're loved for what we do, not for who we are, we can at times try to present ourselves in a way that we appear to be more competent than we really are. We can come across as people on the outside who look really confident, but on the inside we're terrified. And so there are times even in my own life I can look really confident, but on the inside maybe I'm, I'm scared of failure, I'm scared of rejection, I'm, I'm maybe scared of disappointing my wife or disappointing my kids or disappointing one of you. And therefore as a result, there are times in my life where I can be tempted to to lie in order to make myself look better than I really am. Or times where I can, you know, be more worried about what I look on the outside than I do on the inside. I can maybe even on a Sunday morning focus more on 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 my image than preparing my heart for worship. And maybe some of you you can relate to this. There are times in your own life where, like me, you can care more about what happens above the surface than what's going on below the surface inside of your own heart. And so maybe, for example, you're one of these people who who you or your spouse wants you to post images of yourself on Facebook to to make it look like you have this picture-perfect marriage. But then behind the scenes, after the post is over, you're yelling at one another. Or maybe you're threatening to leave or you're shaming one another. Or you're giving one another a cold shoulder. Or maybe, you know, I think of that song by Death Cab for Cutie, the great indie band that, that said we're like brothers on a hotel bed, right? And so like maybe that's your marriage. It looks great out there in social media, but you go to bed and it's kind of cold and it's distant and it's, you know, you're agitated. It's just not as it should be. Or maybe you're kind to someone to their face, but then you, you gossip about them or slander behind their back. Or maybe you say, I love my kids unconditionally, But when they don't meet your expectations, you shame them or you give them the cold shoulder or you distance yourself from them. Or maybe you just walk into a room like this and you look really happy and really good on the outside. But 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 you know that, that on the inside, there's all this anxiety and there's all this depression. And and there's just, you know, maybe this destructive addiction that you've been wrestling with for years that nobody else knows about. And if that is where you are, listen, no condemnation from me, but what I want you to hear today and what we're going to see in our text is that if you are not willing to get below the surface, to focus on the 90%, then you are going to end up living a very shallow and therefore unfulfilling life. You're going to end up having a a shallow marriage. You're going to end up having shallow friendships. You're going to end up having a shallow DNA or a shallow missional community. You're going to end up being a shallow disciple with shallow roots. And as a result, you're not going to experience in the flourishing life that God wants you to experience with him and others. And because this isn't just a threat to me, but a threat to each of us, the invitation today is an invitation to go deep. It's an invitation to pay attention to the 90% of our lives that is below the surface. And if you want to go on this journey, here's the thing. If we're going to go deep, if we're going to get below the surface, the only way that we can do that is by learning how to deal with our feelings. It's by learning how to embrace our emotions. Pete Cazero says it like this in the book. He says, Without doing the work of becoming aware of our feelings, along with the impact our feelings have on others, it is almost impossible to enter deeply into the life experiences of other people. And then he asks this question. How can you enter someone else's world if you have not entered first into your own world? Put another way, we cannot do deep relationships with others if we are not willing to dive beneath the surface. If you want to be relationally healthy, and by the way, that is what Christianity is all about. I don't know what you've been told, but the whole point of this Bible is about how to show you how to have a healthy relationship with God and one another. Jesus says the whole thing is summed up this way, love God and love your neighbor. If you want to do this well, if you want to have healthy relationships, you have to be healthy emotionally. Which means you have to get below the surface. You have to pay attention to what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. And by the way, guys, like nobody debates this. Like like doctors don't debate this. Like like psychologists don't debate this. Anybody who has done their research is all saying the same thing: that emotional health matters way more than most of us think that it does. You know, I was reading an article this past week on LinkedIn, and it talked about the importance of emotional health. And it said in the article. Uh, that 80%, think about this, 80% of our health problems are stress-related, and the stress is the result of not being able to process our emotions in a healthy way. The article went on to talk about how our emotions not only impact our physical health, but our vocational health. They quoted Daniel Goleman in his book, uh, Emotional Intelligence, and here's what uh, Daniel said. He says, people with well-developed emotional skills are more likely to be content. And effective in their lives, mastering the habits of the mind that foster their own productivity. People who cannot marshal some control over their emotional life fight battles that sabotage their ability for focused work and clear thought. And we see this everywhere, right? I was watching a Netflix documentary this past week that uh, one of my friends, Luke Lou Allen, encouraged me to watch, and it was about a tennis player, Nick Karyos. Uh Here's a, a picture of him here. And uh, I know there's not a lot of huge tennis fans in here, um, but this guy, Nick, is considered by other tennis players to be the most talented tennis player in the last 10 years. I mean, the guy is a freak athlete, phenomenal at tennis. The problem is, because he is an emotional wreck, he even has talked about this himself, by the way, because he doesn't know how to deal with his feelings, he's never been able to win a big game. Because he doesn't deal with the 90% below the surface, he has never reached his full God-given potential. And so what I just want you to understand today is, listen, what we're going to talk about today really matters. Like it matters to your physical health, it matters to your vocational health, and as we're talking about in this series, it matters to your relational health, to your relationship with God and your relationship with one another. And therefore, with all of that in mind, I want to invite you to look back with me at Matthew 26. And we're going to look at Jesus. He's the most emotionally healthy human being to ever live. And here he is in the context of this passage. Is he's in his greatest hour of need. He's about to be betrayed by his friend, by his disciple Judas. And after being betrayed, he's going to be arrested. And after being arrested, he's going to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. He's going to go to the cross where he is going to absorb the full wrath of God that should have fallen down on us. And what we're going to see in this passage is Jesus is going to show us what it looks like to go deep. He's going to show us what it looks like to get beneath the surface, to embrace our emotions. And the first thing I want you to see as you look at this text is this. <clears throat> if we are going to be emotionally healthy and therefore relationally healthy, healthy, the first thing you have to do is you must feel your feelings. That's the first point. You've got to learn to feel your feelings. Look with me again in verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37 And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began, look at this, to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, if you read the Gospels, does it look like Jesus is a pretty busy guy? Yes, he's doing a lot, and the stuff he's doing is very important. In fact, I would say it's more important than anything that you're doing this week and I'm doing this week. And yet, despite the fact that Jesus was busy and despite the fact he had a lot of important things to do, he would regularly slow down and he would pay attention to what was going on inside of him. Like we see here, he would slow down long enough to feel his feelings, which in verse 37, it says he began to feel sorrowful and troubled. And so in his greatest hour of need, rather than distracting himself or sweeping his feelings under the rug, he pays attention to what is going on beneath the surface. And if we can be honest today, this is the exact opposite of what many of us have been taught to do. For many of us, when we begin to feel feelings kind of bubble up within us, because we are afraid to dive deep, because we are afraid to get beneath the surface, because we are afraid to embrace our emotions, we will find something to do to distract us. Sometimes it can be get on the phone. Other times it can be some other form of entertainment. It can be overworking. It can be working out. It can be trying to repair something in the house. It can be running errands. It could be eating at our feelings. It could be hunting, working out, smoking, drinking. I mean, pretty much anything, you name it, we will do whatever it takes at times, to not feel whatever we need to feel. And this is a big problem. This is a big problem because as Blaise Pascal once said, all men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. In other words, the reason that we often experience problems, conflict with other people is because somebody in that relationship didn't take the time to slow down and to pay attention what was going on inside of them beneath the surface. And listen, if that is where you are, you just need to know today that if you're ever going to be like Christ, if you're ever, as Robert was talking about earlier, become like a resilient disciple, if you're going to become a person of love, if we're going to learn how to better love God and one another, we have to pay attention to our emotions. And not just the ones that we like, but even the ones that we don't like. You know, when we look at the life of Jesus, he, he experienced the full range of emotions. In John chapter 11, it says that Jesus was greatly disturbed and deeply moved. In Luke 19, when he arrived at Lazarus' tomb, even though he knew he was about to raise him from the dead, before he said something like, hey, everybody chill, like our loss is heaven's gain, or you know, heaven just gained another angel, or whatever. Like, like before he did anything else, he cried. He, as the Bible says, he wept. And when he wept, the word that it uses, it doesn't mean like he dabbed a tear from his eye, like he was weeping uncontrollably. He felt deep sorrow. In Mark 10, he told his disciples that he was angry with them. So he experienced anger in John 2. He was furious at the religious leaders for for trying to turn the church into a money-making machine. In John 15, he was filled with joy. And then, of course, all through the Gospels, we see he had compassion on the last, the least, and the lost. And so Jesus felt the full range of emotions. Yes, he felt joy and he felt gladness, but he also felt sorrow and anger. I mean, you name it. And therefore, the first thing that I want us to see from our text today is that if we are going to be relationally healthy, if we're going to connect well with others, if we're going to love God and love one another well, we too, like Jesus, have to feel all of our feelings. But then not only do we need to feel our feelings, secondly, this is the second point, if we're going to be these relationally healthy, resilient disciples of Jesus, we need to tell the truth about our feelings. So we need to feel our feelings, but the second point is we need to tell the truth about our feelings. In verse 38, if you look with me, here's what it says. Jesus, he comes to his disciples and he says to them, he says this out loud, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Notice how Jesus, unlike many of us, is not embarrassed by whatever he's feeling. He's not humiliated by his emotions, nor does he see feelings as an enemy to faith. And therefore, rather than trying to hide what is going on below the surface, rather than pretending everything is okay, rather than presenting this picture of confidence, Jesus, the Messiah, and think about that, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, like if anybody ever had pressure put on him, it was Jesus, like, like everyone looked to him for everything. And yet, rather than being like, well, you know, these people really expect a lot from me, so I better present myself as strong and competent. No, instead, he is vulnerable. Like, like he tells the truth about what is going on inside of him. And notice, this is Jesus, the son of God. He says in here, here's the truth. I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That is such a profound verse to me. Some of you just cannot imagine Jesus' way. He was 100% God, yes, but he was 100% human. He was not a robot. Like, he truly was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And I think it's so important that we get this, because for some of you, maybe even right now, you're like, why are we talking about feelings? It's like this, like, like to you, like, like feelings is a sign of weakness, God's feeling your feelings is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of Christ-likeness. You need to hear that today. Because some of you, it's like you think, the only, you think you only have permission to feel gladness if you're a Christian. It's like if I'm a Christian, I should always be smiling. I should always be happy. You know, I was telling the first service, um, uh, there's a church my dad used to pastor at. They had their own Ten Commandments posted in the foyer. And one of them, uh, commandment number one, I think, was like, no food and drink in the sanctuary. So it's like, you guys go there, like there's some of you, you're already going to hell, right? Like, like I mean, you're breaking that command right now. And Jody's like, that's a good command. He's like, let's do that one here at the crossing. But another one of the commands was always smile. Which basically kind of communicates, you're having a bad day? Don't show it to us. You mad? We don't want to see it. You're sad? Like, take that somewhere else. Like, always Smile and listen. Some of you, like you've embodied this this lie that says that's the way Christians should always be. And so when somebody comes and they ask you and they say, "Hey, how are you doing today?" What do you say? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm blessed and highly favored. That's what I am, Pastor. Is that the right answer? Is that right? Better than I deserve. Need any prayer for anything? No, 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 no. We're good. We're good. Our family's all good. No prayers needed here. And here's the thing, guys. That sounds so spiritual. But according to Matthew 26, that's actually the spirit of Antichrist. Jesus recognized his feelings. He recognized them. And then he not only recognized them, he had the courage to tell people what he was feeling. He was willing to wear his emotions on his sleeve. And God, is that not a scary thing for us to do in our culture right now? I was watching a um, 30 for 30 recently on Dennis Rodman. You guys remember Dennis Rodman? Anybody? Greatest rebounder. That's exactly right. Um, and there's this scene where Dennis Rodman had just won the defensive player of the year. And he comes up to the podium, and he's this big guy, right? Like, I mean, strong guy, kind of a bully on the court, and he just breaks down behind the podium. And everybody's out there, and, and, and you know, when someone begins to kind of break down, you're like, okay, you're like, what do we do? Like, we're not okay with that. We get nervous for them, and that's what happens. There was a guy who was the owner or the coach at the time or whatever, but he's behind, this little white guy, behind uh, Dennis Rodman. He starts breaking down. And this little guy, he starts getting a little squirrely back there and a little nervous. And he goes up to Dennis Rodman. You can actually hear him in the mic. He starts patting Dennis Rodman on the back. And he goes, relax, 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 relax. It's like, really, it's like he was telling himself that. He wasn't worried about Dennis Rodman. He was worried about his own anxiety. And Dennis Rodman, he, 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 in the very next scene, he says, you know, I didn't realize until that moment that it's not okay for me to cry. He said, I didn't realize until then that 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 crying was was seen as such a sign of weakness and that I couldn't wear my emotions on my sleeve. And from that moment on, Dennis Rodman began to do what many of us try to do. You know what it's trying to do with our feelings? Push it down. Starts coming back up. No, 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 no. We push it down. And, and you know what happens when you push down your feelings and your emotions? It's like trying to push, push down a beach ball underwater. Like it's exhausting. And eventually, like, it's going to come out somewhere, some way when you least expect it and where you don't want it to come out at, on your spouse, on your friends, on your kids. And so here's what I just want to encourage you to do before we move forward. And, and listen, take it from a guy who's learned this the hard way. You would rather be authentic than impressive. Stop trying to be impressive. I mean, for what? what are we trying to, who are we trying to impress? Like, why hide this stuff? To save face? To convince people that we're better than we really are? For what purpose? And to what expense? Like, be authentic, not impressive. Tell the truth about what is actually going on inside of you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm so thankful that this is a space, guys, where it really is okay to do that. Like, anytime I've seen someone do this with me or other people, people always lean towards them with grace and mercy. Stop believing the lie. You need to hide this stuff. You know, I had someone in my office this past week telling me, like, I'd love to tell you what's going on, but I can't because it's probably the worst thing you've ever heard. They didn't want to share it. It's like, I hear that almost weekly. Everybody thinks their crap is the worst thing I've ever heard, and it's not. You're really not that much different than anybody else. Like, we all have our own struggles. We all have our own shortcomings. Guys, stop hiding it. Just be honest about it. Come forward with it. You know, back in 2020, I lost a pastor friend of mine to suicide. And to say when I got this news that I was shocked would be an understatement. Uh, This guy is like, Randy Sheets was his name. He was a man's man. I looked up to this guy in so many ways. He was an army ranger who led a platoon in Afghanistan. Tough dude. Tough dude. Physically tough, strong, good-looking guy. Loved Jesus loved his church, loved his wife, loved his kids, but couldn't talk about what was really going on inside of him and eventually he hung himself in his church office. And I know like that is an extreme example. But if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to be as as emotionally and relationally healthy as possible guys, we have to get beneath the surface. And I know that's scary. I know that is hard. But we have to do this. We have to be willing to first feel our feelings. Secondly, to tell the truth about our feelings. And then, and this is so important, third point, we have to take our feelings to God. In verse 39, this is what we see with Jesus. This is going a little further. He fell with his face to the ground. Have you ever been so emotionally distraught that you fell with your face to the ground? What a pitiful looking sight that we see here with our Messiah. He fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In this moment, Jesus was afraid because again, he's a human and he wasn't afraid of physical death. He wasn't afraid even of physical punishment. He was afraid because he knew, as he says here in this prayer, he's about to have to drink the cup of God's wrath. He is about to experience the power. He knows how powerful God is. He was there at creation. He knows he's about to take the full wrath of this powerful God for your sake and my sake. So that rather than receiving God's wrath, we can receive forgiveness. And he is... Stress. The the Bible Project guys, I don't know if I'd go this far, but they're a lot smarter than me. They say Jesus in this moment had a panic attack. Luke's account says that Jesus was so overwhelmed he began to sweat drops of blood. I'm no doctor, but I've heard that that means that he was experiencing extreme emotional stress. And what does Jesus do with his emotions? He takes them to the Father. He does it in verse 39, he does it in verse 42, and he does it again in verse 44. And if you notice, this is not a pretty prayer. This is not a Sunday school prayer. It's not the prayer you would want to hear the Messiah praying out loud. Because basically what he is saying is, God, I know that me down on the cross has been the plan from eternity past, but if there's a way out of that, I would really like a way out of that. If there's a better way, if there's another way, I sure would like to take the way out. And it is through this very raw and honest and difficult prayer that we learn something that is so important. We said it before, but it's worth saying again. Prayer is not the place for you to be good. Prayer is a place for you to be honest. Prayer is a place for you to come as you are. Prayer is a place for you to lose the King James language type of praying. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you grew up in church, you probably do. It's like you talk to, to Bob, you know, in the, in the hallway. and He talks just like me, but then he gets up on stage and he's like, shall we pray? And it's like, thou wast king of the universe. We beseech thee today on your throne on high. And like, it's like, we got to get rid of that. Just be you. Like, and I don't mean that as in like the millennial, like, oh, just do you. like, like But like, seriously, like, be honest. Like, come as you are and not as who you think you should be. And if that makes you really nervous, if we had time, I would read through the Psalms. Make a mark. Some of you are taking notes. Go read Psalm 88 on your own. I think it's actually in the U Version Bible notes, but I think I sent that to you, Stephanie. And so, like, you can look in the U Version Bible notes, read that. The whole thing is dark there's nothing there's not a positive note in psalm 88 it literally ends with him basically saying to god you have made darkness my only friend and here's what's crazy that was used as a song that was sung in the temple can you imagine if we started singing songs like that here at the crossing Some of you would be like, that's blasphemy. You can't talk to God that way. And yet God wanted that song. He wanted that prayer in the Bible. Why would God ever say, I want Psalm 88 in the Bible? Because he wants you to know that you can come to him truly as you are with whatever is inside of your heart. Tyler Staten is a pastor at Bridgetown, and he says this on prayer. He says, God is looking for relationships, not well-prepared speeches, spoken from perfect motives. When it comes to prayer, God is not grading essays. He is talking to his children. If God can delight in prayers as dysfunctional as the ones wedged in the middle of our Bible, he's talking about the Psalms, he can certainly handle our prayers without having to clean them up first. Read the scriptures cover to cover and what will you find? That when it comes to prayer, God much prefers the rough draft topos and rants to the polished and edited version. With that said, on a practical level, What does all this mean? Practically, how can you take this and begin to apply it? What does it mean? How do we begin to dive beneath the surface? What does it look like to embrace our emotions just as Jesus did? And what I would encourage you to do, I should have brought the card up here, I forgot to do it again, but we have these little cards in the foyer at the Next Steps table with a list of feelings on them. And I'm going to put the feelings on the screen. We do have those, I know, because we had them in the first service. There we go. <clears throat> these are not all of the feelings, but they are the primary feelings. Start here. Just like you have primary colors, you have primary feelings. And you can see these feelings on here, and I know you're, some of you are looking at that, and you're like immediately like, wait a minute. Those are all negative except for the last one, and that's just because you don't understand feelings. Um, those, None of those are necessarily negative or positive. They're just feelings. And your feelings are a lot like the stuff that you see in your dashboard that shows you what's going on underneath the hood. Feelings are there to help you understand what's really going on inside of your heart so that you can then better connect to God and others. And so these actually are all good. Um, You need all of these. If you don't feel these, you're going to end up being somewhat emotionally um, dysfunctional. And so, for example, if you do not feel hurt, you can't get healing. You know what I'm saying? Someone hurts you and you refuse to feel that hurt, you're not going to get healing in that relationship. If you don't feel lonely, you're not going to experience intimacy. You're not going to move towards someone and get into community. If you don't feel sadness, you can't be comforted. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. If you don't feel anger, you will never have passion. Let me say this, by the way. Some of you have a hard time with anger. You're scared of anger, maybe because you saw a, a really jacked up version of it. Some of you need to be more angry than you are. The opposite of anger is apathy. It's like depression, like, like anger leads to passion. I am passionate about my wife and kids. And so you mess with them, I'm going to be angry about that. Does that make sense? If you don't experience fear, you're not going to have wisdom. You should be afraid of, of stepping in front of a train out here, right? Your fear will keep you alive, if you don't experience a healthy amount of shame you're not going to have humility you're not going to ask for help when if you don't experience guilt then you can't ask for forgiveness and experience what it's like to be fully forgiven and then i would say if you don't experience the rest of those you're never really going to experience gladness some of you by the way let me say this some of you actually feel more comfortable feeling sad than you do glad some of you like i want to encourage you like like feel your gladness. There are some good things in this world. Allow yourself to be glad over the evidences of grace in your life. These are feelings that are all on that little card out there on the next steps table. I would encourage you to grab that, and here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. Just begin to look through those. Put it in your Bible. Put it in your purse. Put it in uh, your car, take a picture of it, take a picture of that screen, whatever it is, and just a few times throughout the day, slow down long enough to stop and be like, What am I feeling right now? And then a couple times this week, I want to encourage you to share that with somebody. To share it ideally with your spouse, to share it with your DNA, to maybe share it with someone in your mission or community, to share it with your friends. Share what's actually going on inside of you. Just like Jesus, share what was going on inside of Him. And then also, and guys, this will revolutionize your prayer time and, and your, your time in Scripture. I would encourage you to do this every time before you spend time in the Word in the mornings. Before you pray, before you read the Scripture, start with a feeling check Remember in Genesis, after Adam and Eve sinned, God comes to Adam, and what did He ask Adam? And you remember, where are you? Did God ask that because he didn't know where Adam was? No, he knows all things. He's asking Adam, where are you? Because he wants Adam to know where he is. And so it's good for us to know where we are, how we're showing up. And to start and just, what am I feeling right now? God, help me to be present to myself so I can better be present to you. And, and listen, all, here's the reason for all of this. I don't want you to miss this. The reason that we want to dive deeper into our feelings and emotions is not just so we can become a healthier version of ourselves. Like, the reason that we want to aim after being emotionally healthy is not just for the sake of being emotionally healthy. Like, yes, Jesus wants you to be emotionally healthy, but not just because it'll make your life easier. Uh, Pete Scazzaro says this, and I think it's great. He says, the inward look, which is what we've been talking about this morning, is not to encourage a self-absorbed introspection that feeds narcissism. The ultimate purpose is to allow the gospel to transform all of you, both above and below the iceberg. The end result of this work is that both you and I will be lovers of God and one another. And that is ultimately what we see in Matthew 26. Jesus feels his feelings. He tells the truth about his feelings. He takes his feelings to God. And then lastly, he moves forward on the mission of God. In verse 45 and 46, look at this and we'll be done. It says, and then Jesus returned to his disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Now look at this, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus was the most emotionally healthy human being on the planet and it did not lead him to unhealthy introspection. It led him to an outward mission. It led him ultimately to a cross where he laid down his life for you and me for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus did not run from his feelings, nor was he ruled by his feelings. He told the truth about them. Uh, He he felt them. He told the truth about them. He took them to God. And as a result, what happens with Jesus becoming more and more emotionally healthy? He moves forward in the mission that God has given him. Rather than simply taking the easy way out, rather than being controlled and just saying, I'm going to do whatever I just feel like doing, he told his father everything. He surrendered all that he had, his mind, his body body, his emotions, and he did it all for the salvation of the world. And so I just want to end by saying this, because I think this whole thing can be misunderstood if you don't hear this. You can use your pursuit of emotional health to justify your disobedience to God. And I see that at times. Like, like what we are so quick to do, and we've got to be careful not to do this, is, is we step out of community or we stop engaging the mission, or we stop serving. We start walking in disobedience, and we do it all in the name of just, I'm just trying to be emotionally healthy. Just watch out for my own heart, that sort of thing. And I just want to like, help you see from the text, that is not what we see with Jesus. Jesus, again, was the most emotionally healthy person on the planet. He dove beneath the surface. He embraced his emotions, and as a result, it led him into death. And the same at times will be true for you. And it'll be true for me. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must be willing to take up your own cross. You must be willing to die to yourself, to lose your life. Because if you will lose your life for my sake, then you will find it. And so, listen, I I know this is scary. I know this is hard. And being emotionally healthy is not always comfortable. It will at times calls you to have to die to that false part of yourself that wants to protect and just do whatever it takes to be as comfortable and ease as possible. But if you will be willing to step out in faith, even if it feels like a death, what you can be guaranteed as we look at the life of Christ is on the other side of that death is a resurrection. There's a life that is deeper and fuller and more beautiful than you can ever imagine. How many of you in here like the movie Shawshank Redemption? Anybody? Shawshank Redemption? Finally, I found a movie that y'all actually like. Usually, I ask that, and I'm like mm-hmm. um, Shawshank Redemption. What a beautiful ending! Remember, Andy is wrongfully accused. They so said he murdered his wife. He actually didn't, but he serves his time in prison. Eventually, he kind of you know cuts a hole through the wall, and in order to get out, right, which we see here, in order to get out of the prison and to be a free man, what did he have to do? Do you remember? He had to crawl through the sewer like, through the crap. And it's, like, making him sick, and he's vomiting. I mean, it is hard. There's no way to get out of this prison other than going through the crap. Just, you had to do it. had to face it. And eventually, you see, he comes to the end. He's dumped out of the sewer pipe, and he just stands, and the rain begins to wash him clean. And then he ends up, I think, the last scene, Brooke reminded me, he's on the beach, you know, and just loving life. It's a beautiful movie. And as I thought about that this past week, I thought, you know, there are some of you maybe here today that you have been living as a prisoner. Right now, maybe you're you're a prisoner to anxiety, doing a good job managing it, but man, it's controlling you. Some of you are a prisoner to shame, so you beat yourself up, you beat up other people. Some of you are, um, man, you're... You, yeah, you're a prisoner of these voices in your head that tell you you're not enough, and that's why you're just always judging the crap out of people because like, if anybody ever feels like they're above you, you've got to put them below you to make yourself feel better so in your mind you just you condemn them. Some of you are a prisoner to your desires, which is why you become an addict. Some of you are a prisoner to past pain, to hurt you've experienced. Some of you are a prisoner to apathy, some of you are a prisoner to certain sins. And here's the thing. If you want to get free, as Jeff Schulte has told us before, you cannot go over this. You cannot go around this. You cannot go under this. You're going to have to go through this. You're going to have to get below the surface. You're going to have to face some of that crap. You're going to have to be honest about what is actually going on inside of you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if you will do that, you can trust Christ will meet you there. And on the other side, you will experience the freedom that you are longing for.